hey, I just finished reading First Enoch, and I really want to talk about it. So do you want to have that conversation? Dude, why are you always coming with this weird stuff? It's not in the Bible for a reason. Just get out of here. Welcome to your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yordle. Dude, it snowed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not here where we live at, but in like cities close by, it was snowing in California. No, at Delilah's shop, it snowed. Yeah. She was just like, I'm here and it's snowing. I was like, well, did you take a video? Because that's kind of magical. Right. She's like, no, I saw the storm coming. I was trying to leave before the storm got me. Yeah, it's been wild over here in Southern California lately. Yeah, the government's going crazy with harp. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Wrong podcast. Wrong podcast. Wrong podcast. Yeah. yeah. We're just being blessed with snow. We're just being blessed with snow. <laughs> I was going to go with more like, ah, oh, it's the end times. You know, the plague of uh, light, fluffy snow from the sky. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> we joke about it, but in other states, like, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But man, looking up and seeing the mountains right there. Oh, they're beautiful right now. So far down with snow. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen it like that. And I'm sure if you're listening anywhere, uh, especially like if you're in New York or something where it's like, snow's heavy or it's like you've been really impacted with snow in your life you're like these two yahoos from california talking about like it snowed by the time the snow hit the ground it was already melted but for us that's a big deal it's like if you're in new york and you're feeling that way about snow then come over here and experience one of our deserts yeah then you'll get how weird it is yeah you'll see that it's like well that shouldn't happen around here (laughs) yeah we have the mountains where it snows i mean because california is so big two hours away from anything yeah we've got the river the mountains the desert the beach the city, the meadows, the fields. But we're always two hours away. So that way, when it actually happens here, yeah. it's way different. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been wild, uh, which kind of is a good transition into the Book of Enoch. How? Because it's just been wild. Like, that's Enoch. Enoch <laughs> is wild, man. Oh, I had another transition <laughs> earlier that I was thinking about, and uh, it's gone. Right, I just remembered what it was, and it's like it's too late for it now. Hopefully, it comes back. I did just... want to introduce our intermittent guest. There is uh, someone out there with a leaf blower. Yeah. So he might just interject sometimes in the conversation, but that's all right. Probably like when he's like, ah, I didn't like that point. Yeah. <laughs> we might not invite him back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we are going on a journey, eight weeks as far as what's planned, uh, on the book of First Enoch. Yeah, that intro just took too long. We're already on nine. Yeah, we're... <laughs> uh, like I said, it's a wild ride. There's uh, visions, astronomy, giants, angels, demons, and so much more. Uh, it's like the Da Vinci Code meets Revelation. Yeah, I guess you could say that, kind yeah. of. That's how I said it, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not only can I, did I? Uh, so you're probably wondering why we're even talking about uh, this book. And if you're listening to the series so far, you notice that we're covering excluded books of the Bible. Uh, so why would we cover something that's traditionally not in the Christian canon? Uh, well, basically, our hope is that through this eight-week journey, you're going to see and understand why we are covering First Enoch compared to other things. Mm-hmm. Which, this is one of the ones I know with the Didache, I was like, yeah, that should really be in there. And I've joked around about First Enoch being in, mm-hmm. you know, some Ethiopian Bibles. This one, it's pseudepigrapha, which you've got the Apocrypha, which was books that were written. And if you have a Catholic Bible, you know, you'd probably see those in there. If you're a Protestant, you'd need to go searching a lot harder for it. But you have mm-hmm. the Apocrypha, what's there. But then the pseudepigrapha was stuff that was written 
using somebody's name yeah. who didn't actually write it, which nobody was trying to convince anybody. Mm-hmm. Like first Enoch being pseudepigrapho wasn't like, oh man, we just discovered this thing by Enoch. It was like, it was a writing style. Yeah. I mean, there's pseudepigrapha in our actual Bible. There's Joshua. Joshua didn't write Joshua. First and Second Samuel wasn't written by First and Second Samuel, but no one's really well, maybe not all of these things hotly debating yeah. it, you know. But like, there's there's reason why uh, that it's not in the canon, and and as we go through the weeks, we'll see yeah. and understand it more. But yeah, that was my thing. Is just to wrap it back mm-hmm. around. Is I really think Didache, man, put that in the appendix. Yeah. First Enoch is really cool to read as we get through it. I mean, we'll talk about how it was quoted and alluded to within the scriptures. It was really important out of a lot of the things that were Second Temple period as yeah. far as writings. This one really has uh, some special importance in there. You know, really stood the test as far as that goes. But yeah, I'm not going to be making the argument that this one should be in the Bible. No, it's like the black sheep of the family. It really is. It's like, you know, it's it's there, but actually there are people who love it and but there are people who like, No, you read first Enoch, that is blasphemy. Get get out of here. So then the shepherd of Hermes is like, You're related to us? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know. We just found a long lost brother. There it is. Uh but it's been giving scholars runs for their money for, for centuries. I mean, just looking into it and diving into it. Um so why is it called first Enoch? Well, it's called first Enoch because there's also second and third Enoch which were, you know, it's a really good trilogy that got released there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they already had the game plan that all, yeah. the, all the cinematic universes use is already way back yeah, then. They already mapped out the whole thing. They were really waiting for 30 knock to drop, and it wasn't as good. Mm-mm. It never is. Yeah. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so the second... Enoch is the Slavonic secrets of Enoch, mm-hmm. um, and it really gets its name because that's the language it was written in. And then the Hebrew book of Enoch is usually third Enoch. Um, so then as we're talking about this, right, we have to talk about who's Enoch. Enoch is fantastic. Enoch would have been my son's name if my wife let me choose. Really? <laughs> yeah, because of who yeah, Enoch yeah, yeah. is. He's only mentioned a couple times in the Bible, but it's like, why do we not have more information? Like, I think we have a collective four sentences about this guy. Yeah, from what I've got, there's uh, the Genesis reference, and then mm-hmm. there's three or four other ones that I'll, I'll touch on in a little bit. But yeah, there's there's only like four. But his intro is he's just in the list of genealogies. Mm-hmm. And do you have it pulled up there so that we can actually read it? Uh, the genealogies? Yeah, just in Genesis. Uh, I do not. I have portions of it, but not the whole thing. Well, just the part that has him. I think I got enough of that, if you want me to read it. Yeah, go for it. All right, yeah, so uh, he, let's see, Genesis 5.18. It says, uh, when Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. Uh, And then when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he had become the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God uh, 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Um, Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. So there in the genealogy, we get a few things out of the gate. Uh, his father was Jared, uh, which comes into play when you do get into the book of Enoch. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a during, I think it's chapter six, says during the time of Jared. Yep. So it gives you a specific time. And then Methuselah uh, being the oldest or longest living yeah. person in the Bible. Which is pretty crazy. It seems like a weird blessing there that Enoch walked with God. And mm-hmm. then his son is the guy that just lived the longest. Yeah. Yeah. I always linked those two. Um, but yeah, Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years. 
and he lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and when then he was no more because God took him away. Nobody else has that in the Bible. Mm-mm. Elijah comes close because he gets taken up in the whirlwind of fire, right? And that mm-hmm. thing happens. And whirlwind of fire? Chariots of fire. Chariots of fire. Chariots of fire. So Elisha is the whirlwind? Yes. Or just someone look it up <laughs> while you're listening. But yeah, other yeah. than Elijah <laughs> and then Jesus ascending up to heaven, there's Enoch. Mm-hmm. And he walked with God faithfully. And God's just like, wow, you're so faithful. You're just going to come with me. But you don't get any more information. Yeah, it's just left right there. Uh, the 365 years is also interesting uh, that he lived that or that's before he walked away. Uh, Davis and Rogerson suggested that that might be a link between Enoch's age and the solar years of 365 days. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that that to me just stood out every time I read it. It's like, oh, that's the t- that's how many days there are in a year. It stands out, but it's like, does that mean anything though? No, <laughs> it just stands out. Because sometimes cool. you do yeah. that, and you're like, oh, it's there. It's like, okay, you're but reading too far. There, into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I do like the the walk with a God part. Uh, it uh, could be translated the God uh, there um, as the gods or the spiritual beings because it's Elohim. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Uh, and this may indicate that Enoch spent time with heavenly uh, other heavenly beings, um, and this reinforces what first Enoch really depicts Enoch as interacting with angels and heavenly beings. So you use the word Elohim, mm-hmm. and this is where we pull in our good friend Michael Heiser, right? Elohim, one of the things that I learned from there through when you actually study the word in the scriptures, right, and it gets used, is that Elohim basically means an inhabitant of the spiritual world. It can be used of God proper, God the Father, Yahweh, right? It can mm-hmm. be used of him. It can also be used of angels. It was also used for a dead man who had entered into the spirit realm. So Elohim is just an inhabitant of the spirit world. So not every time when we see it, not every time in your Bible when it's there is it capital G God, but it can be lower G God as well because, again, it's just a spiritual being. So, yes, when you're saying he could have been walking with these other beings Mm -hmm. and he said Elohim, just... Well, it's important to pull out that because as you get through the book yes. and you start seeing him walking with these spiritual beings, it's like maybe, uh, you know, as Enoch was written, it was pulling from this concept that had been out there that, that talked about it. Um, we talked about the word took, or better, he was not, uh, is open to a variety of interpretations. By the third century BC, it was firmly established that this referred to Enoch being chosen based on his way of life, to be taken into the presence of God. Um, the verb used in the Septuagint literally means to take something from one place and put it in another. Mm-hmm. Uh, our good friend Sirach in 44.16 says, Enoch pleased the Lord and was transferred, an example of a changed heart and mind for generations or nations. Uh, so he's also affirming the he was transferred from one place to another. Sorry, my brain. You said Sirach. I think it might be Sirach. Oh, Sirach, yeah. So I'm just so, but <laughs> me and my friends are getting into conversations because it's Ben Sirach, the you know, mm-hmm. the son of Sirach, and whose name was Yeshua, by the way. Yeah. But I always call him Ben Sriracha. Ben Sriracha. <laughs> That's probably why I was stuck in my head. Yeah. I was thinking Sriracha. Uh, but yeah, he, he, was, uh, he writes it as he's an example of a changed heart and a mind for generations. And this also kind of leads to the notion that uh, Enoch's life was uh, his way of preaching to the nations, mm-hmm. uh, that his lifestyle was doing that. Um, one of the other things uh, that you already mentioned that he was the first character in the Bible not to die, uh, but that I found interesting when looking into Enoch is that he was the seventh in line from Adam. Yep. Uh, and this is a contrast with the life of Lamech. 
And I think we covered Lamech a little bit when we talked about Cain. Yeah. Um, and again, in the villain series, so much was done in that series. Uh, who was seventh from Cain? Uh, so the Lamech is a lifestyle of bloodshed and earthly wisdom. You know, he killed somebody and then his wisdom was like, well, if Cain seven, then me seven times seven. You know, if someone tries to take my life, then that this is going to fall on them. Where Enoch lived a life of righteousness and uh, had heavenly wisdom. Um, so I, I thought that was just a really cool comparison because that is really the the tale of where Enoch goes as to like that line of Cain and what happens through it. So yeah, that's Enoch as far as what we have of his life. I don't know if you want to look at the other scriptural things about oh, him. Oh, I do have the, yeah. Do you want me to get into the other passages in the Bible where he's mentioned? Yeah, so we got Hebrews, Jude, and then obviously in genealogy stuff like in Luke. In First Chronicles. Oh, yeah, First Chronicles too. He's listed in there. Yeah, in Jude, it, uh, Hebrews really brings out more of the faith side mm-hmm. of it, that, you know, it was uh, by faith Enoch was taken away from this life so he didn't experience death. Uh, he could not be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was commended as one who pleased God. Uh, so it's making it clear that he didn't die, uh, like all the other figures in that whole list of uh, Hebrews, uh, but also that he had faith and he pleased God. And then also we, a little bit of clarification, and he was not. And it's like, what does that mean? Yeah. So Hebrews comes in, he didn't experience death. There yeah. You go. Yeah, it, it really does kind of like put the pin on it, right? Like, I mean, from is, Genesis to Hebrews being written. There's a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We get the benefit of uh, clar- clarity. Uh, and then, yeah, we talked about the last mention was in Jude 14 through 15, uh, but we will get more into that later as we get into the show. We also recorded a whole thing on Jude. We did. We really did. And that's in there. Yeah, there's, again, there's yeah. not much mentioned about Mm-mm. Enoch, which is what makes the book of First Enoch so tempting to get into and read. It's it- also what makes Enoch so just, I don't want to say tempting, but like just so... Uh, mysterious well no it's just like wow this guy was that awesome i want to know more Mm -hmm. and then you go well here's this book first enoch and you're like okay and then you start reading and you're like okay i need a guide (laughs) someone (laughs) come hold my hand (laughs) i don't feel safe (laughs) (laughs) no but really but it just kind of like um we don't get much about enoch the way that after the introduction of first enoch and we're going to get to the first chunk of first enoch is called the book of the watchers Mm-hmm. And you get in, and another thing that we don't get a lot of information on is what happened in Genesis 6. Yeah. Right? When the sons of God saw the daughters of men and came in and cohabitated. Mm-hmm. Like, and then there's Nephilim. And then it just moves on in the story because the flood happens. Then you're like, what? And the book of First Enoch just cracks that baby open. Yeah, yeah. it really does. Uh, that's where we're headed. <laughs> there's some other uh, second temple literature that mentions Enoch. Uh, but there's the wisdom. They have him in there as uh, the man who pleased God was loved by God and was taken away from living in the midst of sinners. He was snatched away so evil did not pervert uh, his understanding and so that deception did not corrupt his soul. Uh, you have him uh, mentioned in Jubilees. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just, it's a long thing about Enoch and uh, what he saw, what happened there. Uh, his wife and his other kids are mentioned. Um, and then in Jubilees ten seventeen again, it says, on account of his righteousness, which he perfected, his life on earth was more excellent than any of the sons of men except uh, Enoch for the work of Enoch had been created as a witness to the generations of the world so that he might report every deed of the generations of judgment. So just more references of Enoch outside of the Bible and not in First Enoch. And I think like we mentioned, he was the, did we mention he was the great grandfather of Noah? Nope. Well, there's that too. So all of that to say, like, this is who Enoch is. Uh, so what is First Enoch then the book? 
before we dive into the watchers. We talked about it before, uh, but um, just to put a really cap on it, that it's a, a collection of writings mm-hmm. uh, by multiple authors. There, there's lots of authors in it, and they're all ascribed to Enoch, but it's not necessarily Enoch who wrote it. Yeah, and even looking at lots of authors, it's looking at lots of authors over a span of time. Yeah. So really looking at, well, we'd like to talk about, well, when was it written and who wrote it? It's mm-hmm. like, who wrote it? Not Enoch. Also, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when was it written? Uh, 200 BC to 200 AD, depending yep. on the, the length of who's, uh, who you're looking into for the research. Yeah, somewhere within that. As far as the AD part, that mm-hmm. would be a very small section mm-hmm. that would have been appended on there, you know, after Christ, kind of within the late pre-Christian or Christian era going on. But all the other stuff was like, yeah, maybe 160s BC, and then coming on up from there, a lot of it written in the pre-Maccabean kind of area Mm -hmm. uh, of that going on as well. But reaching back a couple hundred years before Christ, definitely what we call Second Temple period. As you mentioned, there's a lot of other Second Temple writings kind of going on at this time. But that's if we're going to frame it somewhere. Yeah, from 200 years before Christ, moving on up. Yeah, and you mentioned already the Book of the Watchers, uh, which is probably the most popular known part of the five. Because for as crazy as it is, it's a bit more easy to understand. Yeah. <laughs> that says a lot. <laughs> yeah. Which, it's crazy, but you're like, okay, I've read like Lord of the Rings. I can get into some yeah. fantasy stuff yeah. going on. And then you get into some of the other stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. The, the uh, Similitudes of Enoch. So that's the second part, the astronomical book, uh, which I, I, I thought this was really interesting. It was likely the written first before anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the Book of Dreams, the, the Epistle of Enoch, uh, which contains the Apocalypse of Weeks. And I also believe, if not this, but the Dreams, one of them uh, contains the Apocalypse of the Animals, mm-hmm. the Animal Apocalypse. Uh, there's a closing, and then there's also the birth of Noah in it. So, uh, I mean, yeah, just hearing that breakdown of it, you could see there's a lot to get into. Um, yeah, so book. that was like those six sections, right? Mm-hmm. And but in that book of the Watchers, they are just very much standalone sections. Yeah, when you get in the similitudes, you know, it's kind of those parable things, breaking them down. Astronomical writings, I don't know, pull out a sky chart. I don't know, download the <laughs> app, go back in time. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Uh, one last thing before we jump into it, I think uh, it's really good to to note that uh, the writings of it were around the Diodician War. Um, so this is like, uh, Alexander the Great had conquered, he dies, and then there's like this quest for who's going to take over all the lands. Um, and because of this, there's a lot of like, uh, war, they're campaigning against Israel, they're doing all this stuff, there's a lot of assassinations. Um, and I I read somewhere, I can't remember, maybe it was Nicholsburg, uh, he said that this is, uh, this background gives good context for the mythical supernatural things that are happening, and they parody a lot of what you see in, I guess, the Book of the Watchers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think knowing that as a backdrop is like, this is when kind of that time frame it was written, that it really helps um, see what they were actually coming against. Because then you also have a lot of, uh, what is it, the Hellenism? Yeah. Starts creeping into the So Jews. Hellenism is like the Greek influence coming yeah, in. Yeah, and that starts creeping in, and, and the author of Enoch is saying like, hey, no, we need to go back to our style because we can't let that kind of conform us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's written in there too. Yeah. And that's where kind of going back to that thing of its importance within different communities. And we talked a little bit, probably not as much to maybe satisfy some people, but a lot of Enoch was found at Qumran with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. Like fragments and stuff were known before that. 
So we knew that it existed and that's where we got some of the different datings from. But then once we found it with the Dead Sea Scrolls, that really kind of changed. All right, well, let's take a different look at that. But it seemed to be uh, pretty important to that community there because uh, they kind of had that same kind of view that that community was very um, isolated, yeah. you know, from the rest of the Jewish communities. Like, no, we need to stick to our thing. And is, are, that, is, are we talking about the Essenes? Generally, yeah, people would think that the Essenes are the Qumran community. I know that like everything else that we ever talk about, it's debate. But yeah, the Essenes, which are that mystery third group that never gets talked about in the Bible, you really had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then the Essenes. So yeah, they were they just, were all hiding. They were off in the desert <laughs> in the caves, preserving these things yeah. for us, right? Um, but even they, who they were really big on calendaring, they were really big on different stuff, and they had copies of First Enoch, they didn't place it into the sphere of it being scripture either. Right. Like it was important to them, it was around and they were reading it, but for them it also wasn't scripture. So just when you're talking cultural importances and different stuff, even the people who kind of held to it more tightly, it wasn't scripture for them. Yeah, uh, which is a good way to get into looking at the book itself, is that knowing all this in background, this is why we're going over it kind of uh, somewhat slowly as the intro, is knowing this will set the stage for what goes forward. You know, that way you don't kind of catch yourself getting scared in that big old dangerous world of First Enoch. Uh, but the first 36 chapters are is the Book of the Watchers. We talked about that. Uh, the Book of the Watchers uh, is a narrative to introduce the idea of corruption, fallen angels, and the final judgment. Uh, chapters 1 through 5 provide an introduction to the section and the book in its entirety, uh, claiming that the book is the blessing of Enoch, which is passed on to the righteous. And then 6 through 36, this introduces the angels. Uh, the fallen angels are called the sons of God. The same as Genesis 6, uh, the watchers who corrupted people through fornication and magic. Enoch had a dream and intercedes for the fallen angels, but he's unsuccessful. And then the text then predicts their destruction. So uh, that's kind of a, just a quick summary of it. And yeah, now we can really actually get into some of it. The Book of the Watchers. The Book of the Watchers, chapter one. As a chapter, like you said, chapters one through five is really the introduction there. And I kind of like this book. It's kind of like other books. are like, oh, man, it's a whole chapter. But these chapters are like, oh, no, it's three lines. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think chapter three is two verses. Yeah. Um, Enoch 1-2, I think it makes it clear that he's writing uh, not to this generation. So uh, it would be presumed that in that he's not talking about the generation that lived during Enoch's time, but a distant one. Uh, this is kind of opposite of Revelations where John's like, these things will happen soon. Yeah. I'm going to just read one through three oh, yeah, to give it. a little bit of flavoring, yeah. right? So this is the blessings of Enoch with which he blessed the elect and the righteous who would be present on the day of tribulation at the time of the removal of the ungodly ones. And Enoch, the blessed and righteous man of the Lord, took up his parable while his eyes were open and he saw and said, this is a holy vision from the heavens which the angel showed me, and I heard from them everything, and I understood. I look not for this generation, but for the distant one that is coming. I speak about the elect ones and concerning them. All right, so that's just the first uh, couple verses there. Yeah, and then you get into like verse 4. Um, do you, you want to read that one too, verse 4? Yeah, and from there he will march upon Mount Sinai and appear in his camp emerging from heaven with a mighty power, and everyone shall be afraid, and watchers shall quiver, and great fear and trembling shall seize them unto the ends of the earth. So, you know, we have right there the mention of Mount Sinai. 
Right. So when you're looking at timing, like yeah. Enoch was walking the earth before Mount Sinai was important and named, mm-hmm. like Moses hadn't quite gone over there and had that whole extravaganza. Yeah. Moses hadn't been born yet. <laughs> Not at all. But there is something to be said. Maybe that mountain was still important. Yeah, that's a good point to make. There's also the thing of the mountain of God mm. can be any mountain of God. Mm-hmm. You know, under a certain interpretation of like the mountain of God, yes, it's Mount Sinai. But then if he's at another mountain, that's Mount Sinai. Yeah, because wherever God is, <laughs> that's is, his mountain. That's his mountain. Yeah. Uh, so that's also important to note when it comes to just like looking at like the writing of it. Um, I, I read somewhere that uh, so a lot of this pulls from Deuteronomy 33. Uh, and that says, uh, he said the Lord came from Mount Sinai and dawned over from there. He shone uh, forth on Mount Paran. Uh, he came with myriads of holy ones uh, from the south and from the mountains, mountain slopes. Uh, so this matches up a lot with First Enoch one uh, nine, and also Jude fourteen through fifteen, where we're talking about the. I'll just read it. And behold, he came with myriads of holy ones to execute judgment to all and to destroy the ungodly. So uh, a lot of that is the same thing when Enoch or Jude quotes it in uh, his epistle uh, that it's kind of the combined combination of the, these scriptures together. They're just mirroring each other. Um, but the judgment in chapter 1 looks a lot more like the day of the Lord mm-hmm. than other types of judgment mentioned in the Bible. As you're reading it, the, there's quake, there's great fear and trembling on the earth. Uh, high mountains will be shaken, high hills will be made low uh, and melt like wax before the flame and the earth will be wholly split apart and all that is in on the earth will perish. So this is more, again, kind of that day of the Lord judgment where there's shaking, quaking uh, type thing. We covered a lot of that concept in the Forgotten Books series, uh, but it's also similar to Matthew 25, 31 through 33, uh, that says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as the shepherd separates his sheep from the goat. So just talking about that separation of judgment and righteousness, and that's... Right, which we didn't read all of that part in Enoch, but talking about that separation, let me see, that'd be verse 7, and there shall be a judgment upon all, including the righteous, and to all the righteous he will grant peace. He will preserve the elect, and kindness shall be upon them. They shall all belong to God, and they shall prosper and be blessed. Light of God shall shine unto them. And then it goes on to say, he will destroy the wicked ones and censor all flesh on account of everything they've done, that which the sinners and the wicked ones committed against him. So yes, it is that time of judgment coming in, which even how Enoch said, it was, I was given understanding. This is for that future generation. Which when I look at that, I'm like, why is first Enoch getting some traction right now? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm seeing things in the world that I've never really seen before. And uh, all of a sudden, First Enoch is real popular. Yeah, it's snowing in California. Yeah. <laughs> or at least in the Southern apocalypse. California. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is. When you look at a book like this, and it is talking about like that future generation, and it's like, well, what generation is it written to? Uh, I read somewhere, too, where it talked about um, that mentioning future generation, but putting it at Enoch's time, which was like millennia before it was actually written. Uh, is kind of saying that it's for this generation. Like, mm-hmm. hey, it wasn't for that one, but look what's happening to us right now. Yeah, that goes with some of those communities that we were talking about earlier that they really were feeling like, yeah, this is that time. And as we get into you know, some of the messianic stuff and looking for that, it's, um, you can see why it would be written that way, like you were saying. Yeah. Anything else on chapter one? 
No, just that it really does encapsulate how you're saying day of the Lord, whether it was Jesus bringing it up or John in Revelation, and just looking at that, it echoes that. Which, this being written, right? Actually, that's when we're looking at written. They're talking about these first five chapters might have been a later edition, right? Mm -hmm. When we were talking about those later editions, but I don't think that it would have been written after the Gospels or Revelation. Even if you're dating Revelation in 96 AD, I don't think that this first five would be written after that, right? Yeah, I wouldn't think so either. I also catch that too. I was looking up, uh, uh, I think I was searching up, uh, you know, the Book of Watchers. What What is the Book of Watchers? And um, what came up on Google was a description of it, but it was starting actually at chapter six. Mm-hmm. So I was like... Because yeah, these first five is like intro. Yeah, so I was like, wait, wait, no, I need to know chapters one through five. Tell me more about those. And I, it, it was hard to kind of find... Uh, that which would lead to the idea that, yeah, they were added later to the beginning just to kind of solidify what's going on with the book in whole. But my thing is, like, even if they're added later, they would have been oh, yeah. before the writings. And, I mean, the Gospels were writing down what Jesus had said. So when Jesus is talking about what that end times looks mm-hmm. like, it's just like, was that allusions to some of the stuff that was in Enoch? Yeah. Which, going back to Michael Heiser, there's a fantastic book called Reversing Hermon, which we're about to get to Hermon in a little bit that looks at all of those illusions and quotes and stuff, but, mm-hmm. and how Jesus reverses it. Yeah. Moving onward. Two, 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 three, four, five. Two, three, four, five. Uh, they're all kind of the same. Yeah, they're really short. Um, they're really just like, it's talking about nature and it's obedience to God. Uh, the interesting thing I found is that uh, the wicked aren't condemned based on the law because the law hadn't come into existence yet, uh, but based on the testimony of nature that nature itself would be the things that testify against their disobedience because, you know, the stars, seasons, the animals, and even the plants were all being obedient to God. And there's, there's the idea that there's an accountability of all humanity because of revelation of God in creation itself. And Paul picks up on the same kind of themes in Romans 1 and then Romans chapter 10. And then First Enoch 5, 1 through 4 really builds the contrast between nature's obedience and man's inability to be obedient and then 6 through 7 of chapter 5, you have the righteous will be forgiven of their sins, they'll have joy, and they'll have uh, salvation, and they'll inherit the earth. And again, we're talking about uh, what was written first, because then you have Matthew, who alludes to the same concept uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, where the meek will inherit the earth itself. So, yeah, that, that's 1 through 5. I know that you summed it up, but in uh, 2, examine all the activities that takes place in the sky— Examine how everything in heaven, each one of them rises and sets, each one's systematic. Number three, examine and observe everything, even the trees, how their leaves appear as if they wither and fallen, except those 14 whose leaves do not fall, but the foliage remains. Chapter four, again, examine the days of summer, how the heat of the sun is upon the earth and dominates her, how you crave shade and shelter on account of it. Then five, again, observe how the verdant trees covered with leaves. So yeah, it's look around you and see how everything is mm-hmm. following the order that God put it in. Yeah. Except for you dastardly humans. <laughs> Which I Not think... all, because there is the righteous. But even how you're talking about not judged by the law, it talks about that they'll be forgiven of their sins. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the righteous were sinless, but that they were seeking after God and to follow and obey, mm-hmm. right? I, I, re- I heard this. Uh, it may have been the Lord of Spirits podcast where they were talking about David and where it mentions that David uh, was righteous and fulfilled or did everything within the law. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, wait, no, he was the murderer. He was an adulterer. He was a thief. How did he uh, do that? Well, because uh, the, the way they said it, and I, it didn't really click until they said it. I mean, I've read 
Leviticus and all those books. But they said uh, most of the law wasn't about how to live good. It was mostly about what do you do after you messed up. Mm -hmm. uh, so when if David did the right things after he messed up, he then fulfilled the law and kept the law. So that's how uh, someone who is sinful can keep a law is because the law was there to actually help correct them. Small tangent on that because I was just texting back and forth with someone yesterday. So if you're listening, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> but really, we're looking at Jesus because this guy was bringing up, oh, Jesus keeping the law and like what's the importance of the law mm -hmm. and like all those things. And we're looking at keeping the law. And I brought up this point that you just made is that it's not just Jesus keeping the law, but the fact that he was sinless. Mm -hmm. Right? Because I was saying, hey, you could keep the Torah, you could keep the law and offer up the sacrifices and stuff. And like that's what God set up as a system. But Jesus being sinless was what set it apart, yeah. really. And to where you look at him being uh, the Lamb of God, unblemished and perfect, and he was giving atonement. So, and just these little distinctions that come in. And that tangent had nothing to do with Enoch, but hopefully it was a blessing to you. Hopefully it was. Uh, so, watchers, what's a watcher? What is a watcher? A watcher is one of the designations of one of the heavenly creatures that was put up. We tend to think generally, at least in Western Christianity, there's God, there's angels. Something happened with those angels, and we got demons. Mm -hmm. And I'm not quite sure where those demons are or what the ones that Jesus was casting out of bodies, but we tend to just like simplify it to that. So it was like, okay, I'm cool with there being God. I'm cool with there being Michael, Gabriel. There's some other guys like that. And there's Satan. And some of the guys followed Satan for some dumb reason, right? Yeah. And we have that distinction. But there is a lot more distinction as you take a more careful look into things that um, within the heavenly realm, like you have cherubim and seraphim, right? Then you have these watchers, you have the divine council. Just real quick, the cherubim and the seraphim, they're the animal looking ones? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that would be that. And between looking animal, but then it also looks like it could be their status that um, I think cherubim would be like a throne guardian for God. Mm. So yes, they're there at the throne and they're described in that way, but it's also like, is it describing their look? Is it their status? Which one ranking? has all the eyes? What is that? Biblically accurate angels, yeah. <laughs> all the memes, yeah. Um, which one is that? I don't know, that's why I'm name. asking Yeah, you. I'm not sure by name off the top. But just to, to yeah. say that there's so the, way the more. The ones with the eyes, there's the other ones that are, have the six wings, two mm -hmm. covering their face, two covering their feet, the other two that they're flying with. They have four faces on their head and different ways that these are all described and these fantastical visions. Um, but we have, again, going back to the divine council, Deuteronomy 32 mm -hmm. type thing, looking at those are a different rank. And then you would have angels, which the word angel just means messenger. So you have like the messenger angels that are coming back and forth to earth and those things are happening. Watchers are a designation of God's creation that, that he created to watch over the earth. They were also referenced, I think outside of Enoch, the only other place you get reference is Daniel. Yeah. That it calls them the Watchers. And that's uh, during the Nebuchadnezzar dream. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it, it's weird because the, the NIV translation does simplify it to messengers. Mm. But I think you read it uh, in the Brian study, and that does say the Watchers or the Watchmen. Yeah, I'm not sure if that would be on account of a difference in manuscript or if that would just be a translation preference there. I'm not sure. Uh, so you got, yeah, that's in Daniel. You got 4, 13, 17, and 23. There's uh, the same term uh, as far as watchers is mm -hmm. mentioned by Philo and then the Damascus document text. So those are in there. Uh, but really for me, the way I saw this um, written and I thought this was the best way for me to understand uh, the role of the watcher is uh, somewhat like of a guardian angel. 
the the watcher were there to uh they were assigned to guard and protect humanity but instead they were there to corrupt so they were just more of a protection i mean you see this in the marvel cinematic universe now mm-hmm. or at least the cartoon version they have the watcher who's like i just must watch and i can't uh intervene into anything until everything goes really really bad and then is that I moon Knight? Uh, i i no, those were the gods, but it, it was the cartoon, The What If. Oh, I didn't get that one. Yeah, that, that was heavily, uh, The Watcher was heavily involved involved in those shows. And then okay. it wasn't until like Crazy Ultron with all the Infinity Stones took over that he was like, oh, I've got to do something and finally <laughs> get involved. Uh, but the, the idea is that they sit and watch. Yeah, that is a way of what they should have been doing, right? right. So I know I was pretty long-winded, but there's lots of heavenly beings mm-hmm. given different roles, different things that they have to do. And when you're saying, well, who's the watchers, then it is that group that was assigned to, yeah, watch over the earth. Again, in our simplified way sometimes in Western, like, no, it's God watching over. It's like, yes, he is, but, you know, there's some layers in between as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, Want to get into Genesis or Enoch 6? I almost said Genesis 6. That was going to be my introduction earlier. When you said, how are you doing? I was just going to read those few verses in Genesis 6. And you would have been like, what is that for? I was like, oh, just something that when you read it, it doesn't make much sense. But I'm sure later we'll get more about it. Because <laughs> that's really what we're about to yeah. jump into is the expansion here of Genesis 6. You want me to read Genesis 6 to just give the background? and then Yeah. Okay. Genesis 6. Now, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took as wives whomever they chose. So the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterward as well, when the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men and they bore them children who became the mighty men of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was altogether evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, every man and beast and crawling creature and bird of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. So I'm sure people looking at that and then yeah, sure, that made what little sense it made, but we're about to get into Noah, and the flood is happening, and cool, animals, two by two, they're coming in, and mm-hmm. right? But really there, when you're breaking down, it's like, hold on. So there's daughters, the sons of God, see that they're beautiful, but then when they take them as wives, then God responds, my spirit's not going to contend with man forever, he's mortal, he mm-hmm. can only live 120 years. Like, that's an interesting response to that right. happening. And then after God saying that, it's like, Nephilim were on the earth. Like, wait, Nephilim? You're just springing this word on us. Like, what's going on here on the earth in those days afterward? And we learn this is what happens when the sons of God had relations with daughter of men. They bore children who became, says here, mighty men of old, men of renown. But these are the giants. Yeah. And that's when it says, and afterward as well. So that's when Joshua is going into the promised land. It's like, those are the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, so then you have, there's Nephilim on the earth. And God's response is, well, he saw the wickedness that was on the earth. And now he says, I'm going to blot them out. So it's just this interesting thing that when, without getting into what we're about to get into in First Enoch, it just seems like, okay, something weird was happening with sons of God and Nephilim, but men were evil. So the flood is coming to wipe out men. And even the term Nephilim, like throughout the Bible, and I think we talked about this too in Jude, that throughout the Bible that uh, if they used the term, there was more than likely if the people didn't understand what they were writing about, they would describe or like go into detail. Mm-hmm. But the fact that in Genesis, it was just Nephilim and left there was like, 
these people reading it knew what this was. Like this wasn't unknown to the people who read it originally or heard the story originally. Uh, the other thing that's interesting too is always the 120 days. Mm-hmm. 120 years. Uh, yeah, 120 years. Uh, because a lot of times we think of that as like 120 years is the longest someone will live. Like God was putting a cap on the, the years. But after that, you have Noah who lives a long time. You have Abraham who lives past that, I believe. I'm not sure. We'll have to check. Someone check that. Uh, but you do have Noah who lives past that uh, time frame. But uh, I've heard it said this way, that that 120 years was like the countdown to the flood. Like, I won't contend for them with them that long. Uh, so 120 years is what they have until judgment comes for the preparing of the ark and everything. Good job, Bible man. Abraham, 175 years. Woohoo! All right. Lucky guess. But I do look at, there's only 120 years is really all that anybody lives now. Yeah. They get 119, but yeah. Yeah, nobody even, goes beyond it. Or even 120, but yeah. So, all right, we're already talking about weird stuff. There's a weird thing when you look at the genetics of humans, and I'm not sure how conspiracy this is. I've kind of tracked on it a few times, but that it looks like something is like on our DNA or like in our bodies that is a life cap. Like it stops us from going beyond 120 years. Really? Yeah. So interesting thing to dive down if you're into that kind of thing. But um, I mean, even in this case, it could be one of those um, not... It has to be one or the other, but could be both. No, yeah. yeah. I'm just talking about these guys were living for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. And people are like, oh, yeah, right. They live for hundreds of years. But then when they look closer at humans, they're like, oh, it actually seems like there's like a thing there that stops us from living longer now. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, well we're going to find out why. Yeah. So, I'm, yeah. G- I'm going to be adding in lots of things like that during, during Enoch. Yeah. Uh, so, so then uh, do you want to read Enoch 6 to just so that way there's the comparison between the two and people can see where uh, <clears throat> or hear yeah. where the story picks up? I do like that they're both six. Yeah. Purposeful. All right. In those days when the children of man had multiplied, it happened that there were born unto them handsome and beautiful daughters. And the angels, the children of heaven, saw them and desired them. And they said to one another, Come, let us choose wives for ourselves from among the daughters of man and beget us children. And Semiaza, being their leader, said unto them, I fear that perhaps you will not consent that this deed should be done, and I alone will become responsible for this great sin. But they all responded to him, Let us all swear an oath and bind everyone among us by a curse, not to abandon the suggestion, but to do the deed. Then they all swore together and bound one another by the curse. And they were all together two hundred, and they descended to Ardos, which is the summit of Hermon. And they called the Mount Armon, for they swore and bound one another by a curse. And their names are as follows, Samiaza, the leader of Arkeb, Ramael, Tamiel, Ramel, Danel, Ezekiel, Barakiel, Azel, Armados, Batarel, Ananel, Zakael. Uh, this one's hard. Why are you making me do this, Chris? Because it sounds way better than what I would have been doing. Sasomaspael, Katestarel, Turel, Yamoyel, and Araziel. These are their chiefs of tens and all the others with them. So all those L's. Mm-hmm. If you hearken back to L being a name of God, so I'm not going to do the Bible name game on all those guys, but all those L, 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 they're all related to something to do with God because they're his watchers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was six. It's interesting there that he's like, hey, let's go do this thing. He's like, hold on a minute. Before we go do Y'all it. Y'all are going to back out and I'm going to be the only one in trouble. And it's just crazy yeah. that here it's, it's like... It's that secret conspiracy pact mm-hmm. that they're there and they're like, all right, we're going to go do this. Like, all right, let's swear the oath. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it did remind me of like kids in mm-hmm. some sense too. Mm-hmm. They're like, 
if we do this, but you're going to back out, and I'm going to be the only one who gets caught, and I'm going to get busted for this. And they're like, no, 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 we'll all go down together if we go down. Um, but yeah, uh, so we have the 200 uh, watchers. They get together on Mount Hermon. I think I sent you this, and this is definitely a conspiracy type thing, but it was the Paramount logo. Oh, do you remember that? <laughs> this is definitely weird conspiracy. Uh, so don't take any of this as like, I'm saying this as facts. But uh, uh, the person talking in the video was like, you notice how it's a mountain, right? And the stars come falling down and there's 10 of them that encircle the mountain. Well, the Paramount logo is Mount Hermon. And those are the 10 leaders of the, because um, the stars usually- well, the 10 or angels. 20? Uh, I don't know, but whatever. The, yeah. the, the stars, they, they encircle it and that's, they're just trying to get you. It's the Book of Enoch coming to life. And, and I then was I like, sent you a picture of Mount Hermon, and it looks yeah. nothing like yeah. that mountain. It's just kind of this flat, <laughs> yeah. plateau looking thing. Yeah, so yeah, I thought it was pretty funny just to bring up for the show because, yeah, weird stuff in this one. Uh, but the group is divided into 10 groups uh, with leaders, and uh, the leader's name is... Samyaza. Samyaza, there it is. Or it uh, could be, mine says Samyaz, mm -hmm. but it also has a footnote of Samyaza, which when I first learned Enoch, Samyaza... So that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and the plot, like we were saying, is uh, it's uh, instead of protecting and aiding humanity they're and uh, helping them to repentance and return to God, uh, they're going to strive to corrupt humanity together. Uh, and this corruption begins with, uh, sexual, uh, with sexual immorality in a ritual context. Uh, so uh, when it says that they laid with them, it was uh, more of a ritual type thing. Uh, you think of the king of Bashan, Og. Mm -hmm. And I think we've covered him a little bit too, but his bed was like this super huge sized bed. Um, and his dimensions were like specifically laid in there. And uh, the idea is that Og was also a giant. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't necessarily like intercourse between one being, uh, a heavenly being with a human, but there was this ritual act that uh, the child came out. What, what is it? Two thirds human, one third heavenly or something like that? Oh, man, you're, you're going into stuff that I don't even know if you've covered. So if you're looking at that two-thirds and one-third, that mm -hmm. would be if you get into things like Anunnaki, which Anunnaki ties in with this um, storytelling, which... Um, so I think off the top of my head, Anunnaki is Sumerian. And for them, this story that's happening is those that come down are good guys. And what's happening is a good thing because we're about to see that these angels, mm -hmm. when they come down, they don't just create children, but they bring all kinds of like knowledge, right? So that's a good thing. But the Anunnaki and the offspring, they're considered, yeah, two thirds to one third. And it's looking at that ritual that you're bringing in because to my knowledge of it, you would have, would it be a human male and female but yeah. then you would have this um being embody one being of them embodying yeah one yeah. of them to create that so you would have kind of the three involved which is how you end up with two-thirds and one-third which trying to understand that because giant can be yes an actual giant but it also is a designation of the demonic as well mm -hmm. so if somebody's reading through the bible and looking like nephilim do i really believe that there's these giant beings like all this tall and all this different stuff it's like it also is just signifying demonic yeah like the noah movie yeah, those big stone <laughs> those creatures. Those big old stone creatures. Yeah, and also could symbolize a giant as their presence in um, society. That's it's bigger, larger than life type mm -hmm. thing. Uh, so there's different ways of understanding it. Mm -hmm. I know some people are more comfortable with you know some of it than than others. But if you're believing in the Bible and God created everything, He can raise people from the dead, just like demons and giants. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Another conversation. <laughs> so uh, as they came in, they were drinking blood. Uh, they were t teaching them to sacrifice animals to demonic beings and ultimately human sacrifice and cannibalism. That's in seven. Uh, three through six. I know you want to touch on the Herman part. 
Not so much. I was just making a note that that Mount Hermon being the spot mm-hmm. where they touch down and that curse that they made or that pact with the curse and everything coming from there is that it's a great book by Michael Heiser. I'll, I'll bring it in next time because there's I think he's got a list of all the illusions and the quotes and different stuff that tie in with with uh, First Enoch. But really, there's a way of reading the Gospels to where Jesus reverses what the Watchers did. Yeah. And a lot of the sin that came after that. But I'm not going to get into that right now. What I do want to point out in chapter 7 and 8, something really interesting. Because you have in chapter 7, you get this general, they took wives. And then coming from that, you said that there was the rituals. But then they started teaching magical medicine, incantation, cutting roots, uh, women becoming pregnant to giants whose heights were 300 cubits, which is a different height than what you get in the scriptures, right? And these giants started consuming everything, and the people didn't want to feed them anymore. Giants turned against people in order to eat them, and they began to sin against birds, wild beasts, reptiles, and fish. I'm going to come back to that point. But then in 8, it starts off with, And Azazel taught the people the art of making swords and knives and shields and breastplates. He showed to their chosen ones bracelets, decorations, shadowing of the eye with antimony, ornamentation, the beautifying of the eyelids, all kinds of precious stones, and the colorings of tinctures and alchemy. There are many wicked ones, and they committed adultery and erred, and all their conduct became corrupt. So you have this general thing that's happening where they're coming in, and there's giants being born and everything, but then it highlights Azazel. And there's an interesting thing that as we continue to read, even though Samyaza was the leader of them, Azazel was going hard. Yeah. And the things that he brought in, Azazel actually ends up getting like harsher judgment for what was mm-hmm. going on there. Um, because, yeah, he basically brought down war and adultery. Yeah, as uh, weapons of uh, war means of seduction, immorality, sorcery, and divination. Yeah, so he brought down these things. So you almost picture like he's the guy in the group that's like, yeah, let's go do this. Let's make this yeah. pact. And like he just went wild. <laughs> Everyone else was like, man, they look good. And he's like, I'm going to just wreck this. Yeah. Now, the thing that I want to bring up about Azazel is that when it comes to the Day of Atonement, mm-hmm. there's a goat that gets sent out and there was early translations. I think a lot in King James, it talks about the scapegoat. But when yeah. you look at what that goat is, it says that it's a goat for Azazel that gets put out. And that's the one that all the sin is put on. So we'll, we can talk about it a little later as we get to some of the stuff that's happening. But I just want to bring up, that's one other one of the thing when you're reading scriptures and you're just like, a goat for Azazel. So and it's it. out of nowhere too. Yeah. So like, all right, so here's this pure goat and they kill that one and the blood goes in, mm-hmm. you know, into the Holy of Holies. But then this other one, they just send sin out. Like, what's going on? And cool studies on that is like, no, the sin came from Azazel. We're sending it back out there to Mm -hmm. him, right? So that's one thing there. Yeah, I have a lot more for that. I'll (laughs) wait till we get to uh, chapter 10. Yeah. Um, But this thing of them coming down and sinning against birds, wild beasts, reptiles, and fish. What did you get when you were studying that? I actually didn't even read into that part, so I'll let you... So I read it, but I'm just saying like it it never struck me. Not every... Um, thing that I would read would, would bring this out, but there's definitely some sources that looked at that sinning against them as um, sexually so. Oh, wow. And so there's the extra levels of perversion. And again, there's just some understandings of this that go on to say that it, they were creating those hybrid mm. things that are like part beast, part man type deals, mm-hmm. which if you think to like ancient 
Egypt, right? How you'd have, you know, part man, part beast, whatever it is. Um, it's just interesting that you Oh, have, yeah, yeah. Like, isn't one like the head of a, a bird? and? Yeah, you got a yeah, bird, yeah. you got an alligator, you got a hippo, you got yeah, all this yeah, stuff yeah. going on. And it's just an interesting thing here. And this is going to be the other weird thing that I bring in. Is that when you look at some of the earliest paintings and stuff that we have as far as humanity, the cave drawings and stuff, there are a lot of these half creature, half man beings. I think mm. they're called something close to theriothropes. And it's like, why? So, this is another one of those things when I'm reading through and you're bringing up these things that are ancient and kind of these spiritual touch points of mm -hmm. like, why did all of these ancient cultures? have these half beings on what was going on. Um, I, I guess I'm already in. I'll, I'll be even more weird. <laughs> People who take ayahuasca, which is a psychedelic drug, and mm -hmm. they go in, and you see here that they came and taught them how to do the roots and the cuttings yeah. and stuff. And there's a lot of ancient peoples who say, how do you know how to make medicine with all these roots and stuff? And they're like, the plants taught us. Right? They're just like, we just know because we were taught it by the plants, and that was there. But with cutting the roots and stuff, ayahuasca's root, you make this, this drink. Is it people who take that report to seeing these half animal, half man type creatures? Oh, wow. It's like they get transported into that level yeah. of the spiritual realm where that stuff is happening. So just weird stuff as I'm reading through and just, you know, I see sprinklings of different understandings throughout history and people trying to figure this stuff out. That when I read Enoch, I'm like, how much coincidence is coincidence? Again, not that mm -hmm. I think that this needs to be in the Bible, but think that it touches on some stuff that's actually happening in the spiritual realm. Yeah, when you take a, uh, a look at it too, that like especially all the stuff that you you're mentioning was like uh, when it comes to that part in Genesis where like the wickedness and the corruption that had fallen on the world, and and even as we go deeper into Enoch, is like the world was just devastated and ravaged by all these actions of the watchers that mm -hmm. it, it was just torn apart. And that's where uh, Genesis kind of says the wickedness and evilness, I won't compete with it, but it's like humanity was just getting torn apart. The world was getting torn apart. You're looking at where the introduction of Enoch is the animals, the plants, they are obedient to God. And mm -hmm. now because of the watchers, there are these half breeds of things going around and the roots are talking to people um, that the corruption had really sunk in on a deeper level than what we're really given somewhat in Genesis. And in that, when reading what happens here in Enoch, when you see that, oh, the Watchers and the Nephilim and all this extra evil that's going on and how it got introduced, I know a lot of people look at what happens in Genesis and like, wow, God's really evil. Mm -hmm. He makes them and then he just wants to wipe them all out. Like, how could they be that bad? Like, what could be going on? And when you get what's happening here in Enoch, you know, six, seven, eight and onward, you're like, oh, that's why. Yeah. And even with chapter eight, when you brought up uh, Azale. Uh, that he shows up and he like you talked about how he teaches them all these weapons of war that actually parallels Genesis four fourteen through twenty seven mm -hmm. uh, the lineage of Cain mm -hmm. so you could see that it was uh, you put these two kind of together and it's like oh this is how they learned all these things it mm -hmm. was this watcher coming in and and putting it into practice so we'll stop there for this episode and we'll finish uh, nine through thirty six on the next one I know it sounds like a lot but a lot of the chapters are small the the big details probably in the the front half of yeah, yeah. of the the book of the watchers so uh it's definitely doable um depends on us though uh but really looking at it is again we're just why are we presenting this here it's because uh looking at the book of enoch and i'm going to repeat this for how many episodes we do it um it is a good book to read it's not something that I think either of us will claim should be in the Bible. You've said it repeatedly. I'll say it even now. I don't think it should be in the Bible, but 
it's a good book to read because the people who were writing the New Testament were reading Enoch. Mm -hmm. And they were using these concepts and ideas to then help shape what they understood of what Jesus was doing and everything in the Bible itself. And that's where we get a lot of the writings in um, the New Testament that kind of parallel or sound very similar to it. Uh, but it was a, it was a resource book. It, it would be no different than me picking up Purpose Driven Life and then talking about it and how it applied to my life in a message, in a sermon. Um, but I, I, again, don't be scared of it. Don't feel like it's something that's too crazy, as soon, especially as some of the stuff we're talked about. Uh, read it. Read it for yourself. I'll say this every episode. Read it for yourself. You can read even the portions that we're going along with every week, so that way uh, you kind of keep up with what we're doing. But just read it for yourself, and I think it's going to help you definitely understand more. Yeah. And going back to that thing that it's not scripture, but even as you've heard me talking, is that the things that aren't extrapolated on in scripture, it might not have happened this way, but it helps me understand, oh, that's like kind of what that could mean. So even mm -hmm. if it didn't really happen like that, I have a better framework for kind of this way of thought. Again, because the people who were writing scripture were writing things like this and, you know, it was familiar to them. But then even as I was bringing up, you know, diff different drug use and other stuff happening in the world, it's like, I would rather be able to take something that's close to biblical to be able to bring an understanding mm -hmm. to what was going on than going out and, uh, you know, listen to all the people who are just tripping on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's a good place to end this episode. <laughs> I'm Chris. I'm your look. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening.